If you're redecorating, here's something you should look into. Armstrong has just made a new kind of floor that you can install yourself. Exelon Polished Marble. It's a vinyl asbestos tile with something special on top. A layer of special vinyl formula that does beautiful things for a floor. The vinyl on top makes a richer marble. The vinyl on top makes a brighter marble. The vinyl on top makes a prettier marble. And you know what? That special vinyl layer comes on lots of different colors and patterns. Beautiful floors for all the active rooms of your home. And the most beautiful thing is the price. That special layer of vinyl doesn't cost one cent more. The vinyl on top is on Armstrong. Welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Kismet. Play on the cymbal, a timbal, a lyre. Play with appropriate passion, fashion, songs of delight and delicious desire. For the night of my nights Come where the soil beloved is waiting Where the rose and the jasmine mingle While I tell her the moon is for mating And tis sin to be single Let peacocks and monkeys in purple adornings Show her the way to my bridal chamber Then get you gone till the morn of my mornings After the night of my nights After the night of my nights Kiss the night of my nights But first, how are we doing? As always, I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. A few of our listeners reached out to us regarding their scores from last week's game. Oh, I am so happy to report the scores. Jason logged 7 out of 10 correct answers. And Carrie, oh, Carrie logged 8. 8 out of 10. These are fantastic scores. You both deserve out-of-the-pack grape job stickers. Here, I have them right here. I'm just going to open these rip and I'm going to take the I'm going to take this out of the foil here and I'm going to peel off these crisp grape job stickers and I'm going to go boop and boop 
They're on your, your shirts. I'm assuming that you're wearing maybe a t-shirt or something in this moment. I have nothing else to offer you in this opening segment. No, we are going to barrel forward into the show facts regarding Kismet. I, of course, am so happy to be here in the stage left studio with Patty and Benny. I gotta tell you, we are sleepy. We have a case of the zzzzzz, the zzzzz, the snooze, snooze, snooze. But we are here. We have amped ourselves up. We are, <laughs> I will say this, we may be sleepy, but we are also jittery. We are jittery with five, six, seven, eight coffee coursing through our bloodstreams. <laughs> oh boy. So with all of that in mind, let us barrel forward toward those show facts. Show me the show facts regarding Kismet. All right, let's do it. Kismet was the 1954 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on December 3rd, 1953 at the Siegfeld Theater and ran for 583 performances. The basis for this week's subject is the 1911 play Kismet by Edward Knobloch. Prior to the development of the musical, a film version of Knobloch's play premiered in 1944. I'm fairly certain I've seen this version of Kismet, which stars Marlene Dietrich, I, I assume? Yet yeah, not assume, I know. And I, I, I believe I've seen this because I remember a sinking feeling. I felt this... <laughs> It was a very, it was not a great feeling to realize that the movie wasn't a musical. No, it wasn't. Oh, I've made a terrible mistake. But uh, let's just say that I don't remember that version fondly. I don't remember that being particularly entertaining. Okay, so back to the show facts regarding the Broadway musical Kismet. The book was written by Charles Lederer and Luther Davis. The music was, okay, so the music, the basis for this entire show, musically speaking, is Alexander Borodin. The compositions of Alexander Borodin, who was born in November, born on November 12, 1833, and died February 27, 1887. Musical adaptation work, modern musical adaptation work, was performed by Robert Wright and George Forrest, and Robert Wright and George Forrest also handled the lyrics. Wright and Forrest drew inspiration from several of Alexander Borodin's compositions, including the symphonic poem In the Steps of Central Asia, the opera Prince Igor, which premiered shortly after Borodin's death, and a seven-part series of piano suites known collectively as the Petite Suite. With this in mind, Kismet could be considered an early jukebox musical of sorts. We're taking this catalog of music and we're bringing it to Broadway with some slight revisions. You know, we're rearranging things, we're adding some, we're adding the lyrics, of course, but we're pulling from a presumably... <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if any Broadway theater goer back in the 1950s had any idea who Borden was. I don't know if that sold tickets necessarily the way the jukebox musicals hope to do in modern times. But if you'll allow me this fancy, I like to think Kismet is a jukebox musical. All right, let me have that. The director of Kismet was Albert Mayer, musical director Louis Adrian, orchestrations Arthur K. Choreographer. Well, we have a dances and musical numbers staged by credit, which goes to Jack Cole, scenic design, Lemuel Ayers, lighting design, Peggy Clark, no sound design, no, 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 but we do have a costume design credit, which goes to Lemuel Ayers, and the original Broadway 
podcast was as follows. We begin with the star, Alfred Drake. Kismet should not be confused with Keen, the Alfred Drake vehicle in which he played famed Shakespearean actor Edmund Keen. Will you cover Keen as part of the snub club, Jonathan? <laughs> no. Let us continue with this Broadway cast. We have Henry Calvin, Joan Digne, Richard Kylie, Doretta Morrow, Neil Adams, Lucy, and Donian. Gerald Cardoni, Tom Charlesworth, Philip Coolidge, Anita Coulter, Patricia Dale, Thelma Dare, Jack Don- Patricia Dunn, Bonnie Evans, Steve and Ferry, Truman Gage, Hal Hackett, Lila Jackson, Devra Klein, Beatrice Kraft, Mario Lamb, Robert Lamont, Florence Lessing, Earl McVeigh, Jack Mayling, Joanne O'Connell, Carol Omart, Richard Onito, Joyce Palmer, Louis Polachek, Steve Reeves, Ania Romaine, George E. Romaine, Ryko Sato, Rodolfo Silva, Barbara Slate, Kirby Smith, Vida Ann Solomon, Sandra Stone, Roberta Stevenson, Ralph Strain, Lynn Stewart, Erica Twifford, Richard Vine, John Weiderman, and Mark Wilder, and no, we have one more, George Yerrick. That is a total of 49 performers. Oh, 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 so many names that I'm sure I got wrong. I apologize if I have mispronounced any of the first or last names. My goodness gracious. Tony Nods. Well, the show won the following Tony Awards. It won Best Musical, of course, but also Best Actor in a Musical, Alfred Drake, and Musical Conductor. The award for Musical Conductor went to Louis Adrian. So, three awards, but no official number of nominations. We don't know that because, as a reminder, any list of official category nominees would not have been made public at this time. That practice would not begin until the 10th Tony Awards ceremony in 1956. Yes, it is now time to talk about the plot of Kismet. This is Mrs. Jane Richards, a woman with more exciting things to do than scrub floors. That's why she uses new, improved one-step floor care, now with ammonia. While the ammonia cleaner takes up the dirt, the wax puts down a bright, gleaming shine, actually cuts her work in half. New One Step by Armstrong, now with ammonia, for women with more exciting things to do than scrub floors. I am going to make a valiant effort when it comes to relaying the plot of Kismet, even if it is one of the more complicated and confusing I've encountered. One could also describe the plot as painfully dull, but I will do my best to keep things lively. Ah! It doesn't unfurl with breakneck zestiness, is all I'm saying. Kismet takes place in a highly romanticized version of Baghdad, the sort of broadly etched realm one might find in the Arabian Nights. Imagine a lot of white actors running around in turbans and caftans, sweating it out under an inch and a half of bronzer. But it's fine because this is a mystical, ethereal take on Baghdad, and not the real thing. It's fine, they would tell us. It's a, it's a love letter to the culture is what it is, uh, I'm sure. As our tale begins, a poet and his daughter, Marcina, try their level best to sell poems in the bustling bazaar. Alas, no one is in the market for rhymes today, and so the poet instructs Marcina to borrow a few oranges for their breakfast. He then proceeds to sit among a trio of beggars, but 
They protest. Oh, how they protest. You cannot beg here, fool. That spot belongs to our friend, Haj. The poet assures the beggars he is a cousin to Haj, a lie that confuses and mollifies them at the same time. With that settled, the poet begins to threaten passers-by with ancient curses, I curse you, which he advises them to avoid by handing over their money. Give me your money. The people oblige, though the scam comes to an end when the poet is kidnapped. Having been mistaken for the real Hajj, the poet is brought before Jawan, a notorious outlaw. Jawan and the real Hajj have history. Hajj placed a curse on Jawan, which resulted in the disappearance of Jawan's son. That was 15 years ago. It was a whole thing. Jawan orders the poet, whom he believes to be Hajj as a reminder, to lift the curse. Lift the curse, I say to you. The poet in turn demands 100 gold pieces for lifting the curse. The exasperated outlaw accepts these terms before embarking on another search for his son. Meanwhile, the wazir, or high judge of Baghdad, reviews a troubling conundrum with his wife, Laloum. The wazir hopes to borrow money from the king of Abubu, but the king will only agree to the loan if the wazir can arrange a marriage between his daughters, the lovely and fierce princesses of Abubu, and Baghdad's caliph, otherwise known as a religious steward of Islam. The princesses confide in Laloum, expressing how much they miss Abubu, but Laloum assures them that Baghdad is where it's at, baby. Let's check in with the poet's daughter, Marsina, who is being pursued by an angry fruit seller. Stop her! She's stole my oranges. The poet intervenes and pays the fruit seller with coins obtained from Jawan. He then gives half of the remaining coins to Marsina, who instantly becomes the most popular patron of the bazaar. Marsina does not realize she has caught the attention of the caliph, who has been exploring Baghdad under the guise of a commoner. Classic rich boy behavior. I'm a commoner! Marsina considers buying a charming little house for herself and her father. The caliph introduces himself as a gardener, and an everlasting romantic bond is instantly forged. They vow to meet again at moonrise, which the caliph relays to his advisor, Omar. I will never mention Omar again. The princesses of Abu Bu spy on this conversation between the caliph and Omar, and it fills them with sorrow. This was not the plan. The caliph was supposed to marry them. But what is the poet up to, asked no one. The poet is partying with a few recently purchased slaves when the police descend upon him. Ah, we gotcha. These pigs are on the hunt for Jawan. They know the poet has intel because his coins bear the crest of a family Jawan recently robbed. The poet is presented to the wazir and sentenced to 20 lashes and the loss of his right hand. The poet declares that the loss of his hand would spoil his career as a storyteller. The wazir is unmoved. Laloum, on the other hand, finds herself drawn to the poet in a horny way, you understand, and she advises her husband to set him free. The wazir is unmoved. My orders are clear. Take him away. Just then, the police appear with Jawan in their clutches. Jawan asks the poet about the whereabouts of his son before clocking a familiar medallion around the wazir's neck. This is the medallion Jawan's son wore as a baby, which means the wazir is Jawan's son. This proves the poet is nothing short of a true magician. The wazir is unmoved. He does not relish the idea of anyone knowing his father is an outlaw, and so he sentences Jawan to death. 
My orders are clear. Take them away. We never hear from Juwan again, by the way. Juwan is most definitely executed. The poet curses the wazir. I curse you, wazir. I curse you just like I cursed Juwan those many years ago. The wazir is unmoved. But when the caliph announces his impending marriage to a commoner, the wazir finds himself very much moved. If the caliph marries a commoner and not the princesses of Abubu, that means the king of Abubu will not give the wazir any goddamn money. As far as the wazir is concerned, this latest development is a result of the poet's dark and twisted magic. He begs the poet to lift the curse, promising to dismiss all charges and elevate the old man to the status of a mere. The poet agrees to set things right. Laloom knows the poet has no real power, but she offers to help because she is attracted to him and tired of her life with the wazir. The poet stages a dramatic anti-curse ceremony that ends with him jumping out of a window, leaving only his jacket behind. This incredible vanishing act causes the wazir to faint. Act 2. Moonrise is nigh. The caliph approaches the house where he first spoke to Marcina as she eagerly awaits for him inside. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. But what's this? Marcina's father, the poet, in case anyone forgot, arrives to inform her of his latest exploits. Come, my daughter, we must run away to Damascus before I am inevitably exposed as a fraud. Marcina refuses to leave initially, but ultimately flies into the night. She's too upset, I must run, Run! The caliph is met with nothing more than heartache. Oh, alas, alack. The wazir is delighted by Marcina's disappearance as it only reaffirms the poet's magical powers. The poet consults with Laloom within the wazir's harem, or fuck den. A plan begins to crystallize. They shall escape to a nearby oasis and make love under the sun and the stars. Marcina interrupts to make amends with her father and asks for his help in finding the gardener she loves. Ironically, the caliph and the wazir are discussing Marcina in another room. The caliph wants to find her just as much as she wants to find him, but the wazir advises his superior to reconsider. My dear caliph, why have one wife when you could have a harem of wives? Look through this peephole and take a gander at my ladies, my harem of ladies. Look at what you would be missing. The caliph examines the harem and is horrified to see Marcina standing among them. What could this mean? The wazir improvises. Oh, uh, you're in love with her? Oh, well, sadly, she's already married to me. Let us find you a nice Abubu princess or three, shall we? The caliph agrees to do as he is told, having lost all faith in true love. The wazir, sensing his lies could be revealed at any time, quickly secures a marriage with Marcina. He vows to visit her chambers later that same night, but she revolts, stating she would rather kill herself than go to bed with the wazir. A bevy of princesses are paraded before the caliph, but the caliph is unmoved. As the procession continues, the wazir quietly thanks the poet for placing Marcina within his harem. Oh, a stroke of genius, old spart. When the poet learns the wazir is now married to Marcina, he throws the wazir into a pool and drowns him. It's actually a, a bit more complicated than that, but we need to wrap this up. The poet explains all to the caliph before reuniting the young man with Marcina. As punishment for the murder of the wazir, the poet asks to be banished to an oasis with Laloom as his only companion. The caliph agrees because why not? Curtain falls, the end.
walls. Did you hear them? They're Armstrong's new colonial chestnut wall panels. They're trying to tell you something. Listen again. Hear the grain? The deep wood grain? Hear the solid sound? The thick, solid wood sound? Now, look. Take a good, long look. Isn't Armstrong colonial chestnut a beautiful way to cover dull walls? And other things you don't want people to see? <laughs> walls by Armstrong. They look as good as they sound. See the new Walls by Armstrong at your building supply dealer. Look for this banner. For the purposes of this week's episode of The Musical Man, I began my journey by listening to the 1953 original Broadway cast album of Kismet. I followed that with a screening of the 1955 motion picture adaptation of the musical, which was directed by Vincenti Minnelli, written by Charles Lederer and Luther Davis. You'll recognize those names from our show facts. And the film stars Howard Keel, Anne Blythe, Dolores Gray, Vic Damone, and Sebastian Cabot. Howard Keel is all over M3, the movie musical man, I should say. He's in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which we covered at one point, and then he was just in another other movie that we talked about. Oh, this is, oh, oh, this is driving me nuts. What could it have been? I, I love how I stifled that. You like that, Patty, Benny? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, I stifled a burp. Okay, so let's talk about the movie, the movie version of Kismet. I want to start off by saying that the subtitles provided by Amazon, when you rent this movie through Amazon, these subtitles are radically oversimplified. They take whole exchanges, whole conversations, and they reduce them to these incredibly elementary phrases and sentences, and it's really insulting to anyone who really needs those subtitles, who wants to get the full experience of the film. It's, it really pissed me off. We need to stop cutting corners when it comes to the subtitles. I'm not writing all of that. Well, fuck you then. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be doing this job then. Let's, let's get some people who actually respect the people who are actually going to be interacting with this material. That's what I say. Vic Damone is also a series regular over at the M3, the movie musical man, over in that coverage. We've seen Vic Damone in Hit the Deck and Athena. Oh my gosh, here he is again. And he is giving us nothing. He is giving the viewer nothing in terms of a performance. And I suppose we're meant to accept that. Oh, what's the matter, Vic? You're bored? You don't want to play the Caliph, huh? You're realizing that the Caliph is a shit part that's not funny, and it's, <laughs> in a romantic sense, he's very boring and bland. What's the matter? You're not getting a lot out of that? Well, I'm so sorry. So sorry, Vic. Laloom's new song, they wrote a new song for Laloom, and it's known as Bored. The name of the song is Bored, and wow, that's a big miscalculation if, if ever I've seen one. This movie is not entertaining. The last thing it needs is a character singing the word Bored half a dozen times. I'm bored, I'm so bored. Yeah, well, get in line, Laloom. We were here first. Nearly all of the numbers are poorly staged. That was my big tip. 
takeaway. Everyone is dead ass standing in place, watching the lead actors as if they were a second audience. Vincente Minnelli has no passion for this material. That is very obvious, and therefore, no interest in its cinematic potential. He limits himself to these long stationary takes that frame the characters like reporters appearing on the 6 o'clock news. It's point and shoot grunt work, nothing more, and expensive costumes and camels and caravans. That shit cannot make up for that, alright? You're not distracting me with the production design. No, no, no. Hey Vince, what should the ladies be doing during their big harem number, huh? Maybe some sexy dancing, maybe? Fuck you, I'm Vincente Vanelli. No, I say. They will sit on their asses the entire time and stare at Howard Keel and Dolores Gray. You got me? Where the hell is Liza with my lunch? Here I am, Papa. I made tuna salad, Papa. It definitely goes without saying, but watching these actors mug their way through the palaces and back alleys of so-called Baghdad is a mortifying experience. Every line is delivered with wretched irony, like everyone involved is in on some big joke. Can you believe it? Me, Howard Keel in a turban. Ho 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 ho. Praise Allah and such. Which way is Mecca? It sucks shit. Do not watch this movie. I followed that movie with the 1967 ABC Armstrong Circle Theater broadcast of Kismet, which aired on October 24th, 1967. It was directed by Bob Henry, written by, wait a minute, I recognize these two, Charles Letterer and Luther Davis. Hello again. And this broadcast stars Jose Ferrer, Barbara Eden, Anna Maria Albergetti, George Shakiri, and Hans Conried, a.k.a. Captain Hook from Disney's Peter Pan. There was a moment where I thought, wait a minute, that guy's voice sounds very familiar. I gotta look this guy up. He's mincing his way. Ooh, he's mincing is what he is. Ah, yes, of course. Captain Hook, one of our most famous animated gay villains. The broadcast, this program, one of several in a series that included takes on Brigadoon, Carousel, and Kiss Me Kate, pushed new episodes of NYPD and The Hollywood Palace back by a week, which must have been a disappointment to some viewers. We apologize, but your favorite programs have been preempted by Kismet. NYPD was boilerplate detective stuff from what I can see, but The Hollywood Palace is fascinating. It was a musical variety show that seemed right up my alley. Trading one musical program for another, hey, maybe that doesn't sound so bad to some of those viewers. Well, I thought I was going to get a musical variety show. Instead, I'm getting a full-on musical. Fine, I'll take it. The host of the evening is Mr. Robert Goulet, a.k.a. the happy time himself, who would go on to appear in the Kiss Me Kate broadcast alongside Carol Lawrence. The sponsor of the evening, maybe you have, maybe you have a guess. That's right, it's Armstrong Flooring, of course. You've been hearing their TV ads since this episode began, and you're gonna hear a lot more of them. Oh, so much talk of vinyl asbestos. Get on your knees, ladies, and run your hands across that Spanish tile. It's positively packed with as much asbestos as we could fucking cram in there. Breathe it in, ladies. Here are a few pros that I want to note regarding this broadcast. I have some compliments, okay? Not so much cons. I would like to be positive in this section. Pro, watching Hans Conried mint. Ooh, I'm the wazir, I'm mincing. I already brought it up before, but I felt the need to bring it up again. Pro, watching Barbara Eden belly dance. Oh, wow, 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 meow. 
Pro, the story has been aggressively streamlined to allow for a 90-minute runtime. That's 90 minutes with commercials! Oh my god, yes, I love it! The Minnelli film is five minutes shy of two hours, and I felt every second of it. Chris, I believe, was practically comatose by the end of that movie. Pro, the staging, dialogue, and characterizations of the ABC broadcast are better all around than those you'll find in the movie. They may not be brilliant, but they are better. TV Marcina, for example, is a lot more appealing than movie Marcina, probably because TV Marcina is not constantly sobbing. Movie Marcina is a real drip. Here are a couple of okay jokes from the ABC broadcast, which you will not find in the Minnelli film. Joke number one, Marcina says to her father, the poet, she says, But we're liberals. We can't have slaves. To which the poet responds, Ah, we're moneyed liberals. We'll keep them out of the hands of the conservatives. And here's joke number two here for you. The wazir says, Oh, my dear talented friend, I feel so close to you. And the poet responds by saying, You are close to me. What have you been eating? I think those are good jokes. Those are okay jokes. The Minnelli film does not include one okay joke, let alone two. So math-wise, the ABC broadcast wins out. If you're going to watch a visual, a visual version of Kismet, you might as well go with the ABC version, which is available in full on YouTube. I considered listening to other cast albums, of course, including the 1989 London Studio Cast album. But, you know, it's the, it's the craziest thing. A horsefly bit me on the arm, and I could not raise my arm for three days. I couldn't wash my hair because I could not raise my arm, and so I was forced to wear a big brown hat. A really big brown hat. So with all of that going on, I simply did not have time to listen to the 1989 London Studio Cast album of Kismet. I'm so sorry. This is an Armstrong vinyl floor. A very unusual vinyl floor. It thinks it's real Spanish time. And you can't blame it. It looks like Spanish time. Same classic pattern same warm colors it even feels like spanish tile same textured surface but it's not spanish tile it's armstrong coronel vinyl corlon it only thinks it's spanish tile and you'll think so too see the whole coronel collection of vinyl floors they all come in wide seamless rolls brick brick with wood inlay slate in Spanish style. They all think they're the real thing. Rhymes, fine rhymes, sweet rhymes have I. Sly rhymes, wry rhymes, neat rhymes have I. To a world too prone to be prosaic, I bring my own panacea. Of iambic and a tittle of trochaic, added to a small amount of onomatopoeia, lays that sing with rhymes. Have I who plays that ring like chimes? Have I happy rhymes like my? 
money makes you sunny. Spicy rhymes like virtue can hurt you. Learned rhymes, the camel's a mammal, and others very various. Sun matters multifarious like beard, sheard, banoose, loose, stairs, prayers, musk, kiosk, minaret, and parapet, and many more that I'll beget betimes. Rhymes have I, rhymes have I. Learning leads to earning. Truthful rhyme. Like drinking stops your thinking. Healthful rhyme. Like sinning is thinning. And Look. others miscellaneous on matters more extraneous. Like crutch. Clutch. Look. Hook. Vagrant. Fragrant. Dervish. Curvish. Horn. One. Caravan. Afghanistan. Dromedary. Very hairy. Very hairy. Very sorry. Oh. Songs of sense and pertinence in reference to and climbs. Rhymes have I. Rhymes have I. Rhymes has she. is a marginally pleasant introduction to the poet and his daughter, Marcina. They don't have anything funny or clever to offer in the way of lyrics, but they're not unpleasant people. I do not hate them. They sing at one point, Happy rhymes like money makes you sunny. Spicy rhymes like virtue can hurt you. Learn it rhymes. The camel's a mammal. Uh, what was I talking about? What was, uh, this is bunk. This is all bunk. I officially retract my previous attempt at polite commentary. I don't know. I don't like this song, and I don't like these characters. They bore me to fucking tears. Rhymes have I, rhymes have I, I have rhymes. That part reminds me of... The song, So What Else Is New, from previous subject, Woman of the Year. So, rhymes have I, rhymes have I, I have rhymes. Sounds a lot like, well, so what? So what else? So what else is new? I'm not going to play the clip. If you want to look that up, you can look that up. But Patty Benny, I'm not going to saddle us with that audio clip. Work. No, I just, you know this. You're an avid listener of the podcast. Maybe you remember what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. Well, so what? Okay, next. Moving on. Baghdad, don't underestimate Baghdad. A city rich in romantic oriental lore. A few of the facts you never knew before. Due south of the Garden of Eden, due north of the Gulf of Aden, where every male and maiden is laden down with the blisses of
since Nineveh, not since Tyre, not since Babylon turned to mire. For a sin of a kind we never mind here. Where are we never again low life like the life well known here? Not since Nineveh, not since Zion, not since Jericho started sliding from the din of a horn that's never blown Distinctly aromatic here. Where could you ever pursue your life with the zeal we feel here? Not since Babylon read that writing, not since Jericho heard that trumpet, not since Nebuchadnezzar's hanging garden went to pot, not since that village near Gomorrah got too hot for lot. tell you, I can feel myself stretching to fill the air with this half-frozen Salisbury steak dinner of a take. But hear me out. Marcina and Lalume are like Sandy and Rizzo from Greece. Like Rizzo, Lalume is a feisty good-time gal. Lalume knows what she wants, both in and out of the bedroom. She's got spunk and grit and a real personality, which allows an actor like Joan Digne to bring their personality to the role. Again, I apologize, Joan, if I'm mispronouncing your last name there. I appreciate Not Since Nineveh as a number because it's an opportunity for Digne to stamp her feet, beat her breast, and otherwise capture my attention with a bold gesture. You know what doesn't capture my attention? All of the songs written for Marcina. Like Sandy, Marcina was developed in the bowels of soprano ingenue hell. Marcina is pretty and polite and constantly vacillating between two and only two states of being, totally love-struck and utterly heartbroken. Her songs reflect the narrow parameters of this checklist. And while I am certain Doretta Morrow is capable of demonstrating a wider range as an actress, I will never know because Kismet saddles her with the musical equivalent of melatonin. Stranger in Paradise is a fabulous example of what I'm talking about. Let's hear some of that, and I triple dog dare anyone to remain focused on this material for longer than 15 seconds. Chance that you 
dark despair from all that I hunger for. But open your angel's eyes to the stranger in paradise and tell me that I need a stranger. Kylie and Doretta Morrow are technically proficient singers. I'm not here to argue that, but Joey Cucamonga, Stranger in Paradise, is so old-fashioned, even by the standards of its era. Guys and Dolls premiered three years prior to Kismet, and those love songs blow today's subject out of the water, not to mention most of the efforts we hear today. There is no depth of character in Stranger in Paradise, no granular detail to be found within the sentiments. It makes my brain smoother by listening to it. I insulted Sandy by comparing her to Marsna. I see that now. Sandy actually experiences growth and dares to break out of her shell in the final moments of Greece. She has a sense of agency. She's activated, whereas Marsna is barely a participant in her own story. Sandy yells at her object of affection. She demands his respect and sets boundaries for herself. Sandy kicks ass. I'm sorry, Sandy. What's going on? A lot's going on. When the kids come on, a lot goes on. Where's it going on? On Armstrong Exelon. The floor for where more goes on in the active rooms. The active rooms for active people of all sizes. Now there are two new Armstrong Exelon tile floors for your active rooms. Floors made to make rooms more beautiful. Floors like new embossed swirl chip Exelon. Deep texture in this handsome mosaic. And new embossed marble Exelon. Here's a rich marble design. Beautiful, natural, inexpensive. Vinyl asbestos tile, tile that you can install. Exelon tile is just one of the many vinyl floors by Armstrong for all the active rooms of your home. When you tell a story, amorous or gory, you can tell it best if you just tick you late. Suppose the mighty Sinbad meets a gin who's been bad. They will guess the rest if you just tick you late. A tongue is a tongue, and a lung is a lung, and a tail that can shout or sing without the gesture. Nothing. Nothing. Should Scheherazade undulate her body, that can be expressed if you just can be assessed if you just. She'll be undressed if you just tick you late. If. I tell you I was walking by the sea and found a genie in a bottle. That's trite. Right. A practically everyone has seen a genie someone had to drop in a bottle. Right. But if I say the bottle was so teeny. So teeny. And so was the genie. So was the genie. Until with trembling hand I pulled the cork. And threw the jug and covered up my eyes And the smoke began to curl And the smoke began to swirl And it curled and it swirled and it swirled and it curled As higher it did rise Till it was so high And so was 
me up, 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 into the sky, and we did fly, the genie and I, we did sail, did sail, is this a tale, this is a tale, are you convinced, we are convinced, you see, Finger. Listeners will linger. They will be impressed if you just applaud with zest if you just. If it's a question of a story, gory, Sinbad, Invad, bottle, smoke, genie, arms, fly, sky high, I state, reiterate, gesticulate. Your Let's be charitable and assume gesticulate pops on stage and does not translate as an audio-only experience. Maybe it's a whole physical comedy thing that I have to be there for. You had to be there. Oh, the FOMO. If theater goers enjoyed watching Alfred Drake improvise a story about a gin, I won't take that away from them. Alfred Drake and his psychotic Baghdad by way of the Japanese samurai haircut crush that shit into a powder, boil it, and put it right into your veins for all I care. Eh, Jonathan, you know, you're being a f- you're being far too dismissive. New York City Center Encore staged Kismet with Brian Stokes Mitchell in 2006. They saw the show's value. Kismet has value within the greater canon. Look, let's not fight, okay? It's Easter. We caught the 700 men and hung them in their prison pen. Who said, suspend them by their fuzz? Was I, was here, I was, was he, was here, he was. When the keeper of the royal zoo was short a cockatoo or two, who sealed him in a pot of glue? Was I, was here, I was, was he, was here, he was. He has a way of learning what he wants to know. Delicate, but to the point. They always seem to remember when I begin to dismember them arm by arm and ear by ear and joint by joint. When the court musician lost his grasp, and let his lute begin to rasp. Who had him bitten by an asp? Was I, was here, was he, was here, was I, was here, was here, I was. If you will allow me, I just want to quote this passage from the song you just heard, Was I, Wazir. Here's the quote. Quote, When the keeper of the royal zoo was short a cockatoo or two, who sealed him in a pot of glue? Was I, Wazir, quote. I'm sorry, I want to make sure I have this right. So the royal zookeeper lost an unspecified number of cockatoos, and you placed him in a big-ass pot of glue? Was he fully contained within the pot of glue, or was his head sticking out? Was the glue hot? Oh, I suppose that's a dumb question. I'm sure the glue was hot. The glue should be hot because it's, well, it's torture we're talking about. Torture. 
This song is not entertaining. Was I was here is not what I, a reasonable human being, would describe as a musical entertainment. Give me those were the good old days from Damn Yankees, or give me Death by Glue. You'd say his eyes were sometimes bright, but only sometimes often dark. Well, that is plain. I am singing like this. Literally, what are these people saying? Is anyone absorbing a word of this nonsense? The actual lyrics I'm talking about sounds fine on a technical level, sure as shit, but it's completely meaningless and there isn't a musical phrase I can take home with me. This is And This Is My Beloved, by the way. That, that's the name of that song, And This Is My Beloved. And This Is My Beloved. Well, maybe I did take home a musical phrase. Maybe I did, but I don't look back on it with affection, I'll tell you that much. A bunch of bloated operetta-adjacent baloney, I say. It's very hard to listen when they're singing like this. No, that's all I have to say regarding, oh, the score. The score, the so-called score of Kismet. It is now time to hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. microphone for a podcast. Okay. This is Julie Kavner. Hello. Uh, you might know me from The Simpsons, where I say things like, Homer. Mm. 
Or uh, how about Rhoda? I used to say th things like, Rhoda. I was in a movie called, uh, This Is My Life. I would say things like, Ah, this is my life. Oh, I was in The Lion King, one and a half. I said things like, Timon, Timon, don't do that. And of course, I played Adam Sandler's mom in Click. Uh, one of my favorite lines from that film was, Don't you dare click that button, Adam. What, what you may not know is that I appeared on Broadway in 2011. It's true. What was the name of the show, Julie? Well, it was called Relatively Speaking, and it featured three one-act plays by Ethan Cohen, mm, Elaine May, mm, and Woody Allen. I was in Woody's play, Honeymoon Hotel. My co-stars were Steve Gutenberg and Parklin Baker. Now, to be clear, I was told I would be starring in Elaine's play, which was called George is Dead. And when I tried to get out of Woody's play, they said, Julie, you gotta play ball. This is Broadway. So I stuck it out because I thought they would sue me if I quit. Woody was always around and we hated him. Oh, how we loathed that slimy moose knuckle of a man. I hate to say this because I love 5678 coffee, but he was a nut for the stuff, and I always spat in his cup when he wasn't looking. It's true. Mark saw what I was doing and he wanted in, so he started snorting boogers into the coffee. Steve put his pubes in the coffee, and eventually everyone was in on the gag. Cast and crew alike. What he never figured it out because he's an idiot. Why isn't he dead yet? Why isn't Woody Allen dead? I'm asking. It's not right, I tell you. Him not being dead yet? Anyway, I just want to say I love 5678 coffee. And the only reason you should ruin a cup of the stuff is if you know the person drinking it is a real piece of shit. I'm Julie Kavner, speaking for 5678 coffee. You can count on it, just like you can count the number of boogers, pubes, and spitball loogies in Woody Allen's coffee. One, two, three, four, five. Bye! Gotta go! Are you the ceiling doctor? CD, ceiling doctor. I'm Miss Flynn, and I have the sagging ceiling. Sagging ceiling, huh? Uh-huh, Armstrong has a new miracle cure for that. You simply hang these grids under your old ceiling. Drop in the panels for a three-dimensional effect. The perfect cure. Tell me, is there a Mrs. Ceiling Doctor? Final thoughts regarding Kismet. Not Kinsey. I hope I haven't said Kinsey at any point in this episode. Kismet is the name of the show. This show might have value in the 21st century if anyone who knew a damn thing about Baghdad or its culture had worked on it initially. But as it is, Kismet is boring and nauseating and racist. We should hire artists of color to rewrite the book and the score. We should fix it. Or, here's an idea, we could stop wasting their time and give them the time and resources to develop a show they actually care about. Stop asking people of color to improve upon mediocre white writing. Now, in 1954, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Kismet. 
And the additional nominees, well, as I said, those would not have been made publicly available. That information was not available to the public. So let's take a look at the other Broadway musicals from this season, shall we? We start with By the Beautiful Sea, which ran for 270 performances at the Majestic Theater. The book was written by Herbert Fields and Dorothy Fields. Music by Arthur Schwartz, lyrics by Dorothy Fields. Set in 1907, By the Beautiful Sea depicts a series of wacky romantic entanglements at a boarding house on Coney Island. And I gotta say, it don't sound scintillating. Our next show is John Murray Anderson's Almanac, which ran for 229 performances at the Imperial Theater. Book, music, and lyrics by Various. I did not know. After that long cast breakdown, I did not feel like writing down all of those names. This is a musical review, actually, and it relies heavily heavily on the work of Richard Adler and Jerry Ross, who would go on to write The Pajama Game and Damn Yankees. Song titles from Anderson's Almanac include My Cousin Who? Mark Twain, which was performed by Harry Belafonte. Thank you very much. How about a song called Witch Witch? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Witch Witch. And here's another song from this show. When am I going to meet your mother? What a... <laughs> What a, bunch of, what a bunch of wacky songs, I say. The Girl in Pink Tights is the next show on our docket. 115 performances at the Mark Hellinger Theater. Book by Jerome Chodorov and Joseph Fields. Music by Sigmund Romberg. Lyrics by Leo Robin. Pink takes place in the aftermath of the American Civil War, but seemingly has little to do with said war. It instead focuses on the owner of a struggling theater company and the competition she faces from a French ballet troupe that moves in next door. Oh no! The premise of Pink calls to mind that of the Harvey Girls, which we covered via M3, the movie musical man. A lot of plugging for that series today. Uh, and th so what would the... I compare the two because of the warring entertainment venues and the gender clash between high-class and low-class women. There's some overlap there. How about Carnival in Flanders? Six performances at the New Century Theater. Six! Book by Preston Sturges. Ooh, fancy. Music by Jimmy Van Heusen and lyrics by Johnny Burke. Hello, it's me, Johnny Burke. Carnival is an adaptation of the 1934 French film La Camessa Heroique. It takes place in the Flemish village of Flackenburg in the year 1616. Oh boy, please do not hand me your wallets just yet. I should mention the plot involves a Spanish duke who invades Flackenburg for the purposes of wooing the mayor's widow, who is not actually a widow because the mayor of Flackenburg is in hiding. Again, stop handing me your blank checks. This is embarrassing. And finally, we have The Golden Apple, which ran for 125 performances at the Alvin Theater. Book and lyrics by John Travel Latouche. Music by Jerome Moros. Apple is a sung-through musical in the tradition of Porgy and Bess, Candide, and The Most Happy Fella. It's a modern take on the Iliad and Odyssey epic poems written by the ancient Greek figure Homer. <laughs> so the whole thing takes place in Washington, and Ulysses is a veteran of the Spanish-American War. They have, like, you know, cars and phones and stuff. You get it. What about blank, but with cars and phones and stuff? Classic theater pitch. 
This was easily the most well-received of the shows we've discussed here, though I've never had the pleasure of sitting down with its score. But that won't stop me from handing the Tony Award for Best Musical to the Golden Apple. Nothing can stop me, actually. <laughs> I'm drunk with power. My enemies could surely try to stop me, but I pity them in advance. I got this glorious shine with no buffing. No kidding. She got this glorious shine with no buffing. No kidding. Imagine this glorious shine with no buffing. No kidding. They got this glorious shine with no buffing, I know. New Wood Floor Care by Armstrong. Cleans and shines wood floors with no buffing. No kidding. It is now time to rank Kismet against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at this full ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You can access our link tree via that Twitter platform. It's true. You will find a link to our spreadsheet, and on the second tab of that sheet is our ranking. Kismet, you're going to go all the way down to slot number 110. Yes, between the Tap Dance Kid at number 109 and Crazy For You at number 111. You never know, though. That could change at any point. I have a feeling the show might go a little lower with time. As far as show-related ephemera is concerned, I would like to begin with a selection from In the Steps of Central Asia by Alexander Borodin. This is from 1880. The piece served as the basis for Kismet's opening number, The Sands of Time, and was originally dedicated to Franz Liszt. Was something going on between them? Are they, you know? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Let's play that clip. Lovely. And uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Well, I don't know. How about three more ads for Armstrong flooring? I'm practically drowning in these ads over here. We got to get through all of them. So let's play three. Let's play three. Want to see how to make a great first impression on your guests? Put a Montina vinyl Corlon floor in your front hall. It's made by Armstrong, and it has an intriguing surface, like little stone chips. Feels sort of nubbly when you rub your hand over it. Look carefully. You won't see any two chips that look exactly alike. Montina is tough vinyl, so its good looks won't wear out. It's a great floor for rooms you and your friends use a lot, like the front hall, the playroom, the family room, all the active rooms of your home. Tina Vinyl Corlan. 
What a beautiful floor to greet your guests on. What's it this time, Doc? Quite sad. Peeling ceiling. A very bad case. But I have the cure right here. Armstrong's new Sorrento ceiling planks. As you can see, they'll give any room a new lease on life. What's that address again, Doc? Oh, the address. Oh, yes, yes. I have it here. I have it here somewhere. Remember, four out of five ceiling doctors recommend Armstrong ceilings. You want to know what I want in a floor wax? Well, I want a great shine that'll stay shiny. And it shouldn't scratch or show every heel mark. And I don't want to worry about yellowing or wax buildup. That's all. Is that all? It's all here. In new Epic by Armstrong. Shines great. Stays shiny. Almost refuses to scratch or show heel marks or turn yellow. Epic does more things better than any other leading wax. You know, I gotta say, I'm not a fan of the ceiling doctor. The ceiling doctor is invited to remain outside of my home. Thank you very much. No, I am not installing a fucking grid in my home, doctor. Thank you very much. But no, this is my home, not an office. That grid looks like shit. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator. I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Showboat Goes Hawaiian. Everyone ready? Then away we go! The next subject of our main feed coverage is a 1976 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It's the only show from that set of nominees that we haven't already discussed. This came up in our Chicago episode because Chicago is also from that set of nominees. Oh my god, what is it? Ah, it ran for 193 performances on Broadway. Oh my god, what is it? Ah, oh my god, what is it? Ah, it's Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. Yes! That's all that's coming next week. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly Patreon payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month via Patreon, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday. You'll get them first thing Monday morning. You'll also get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 19 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a review of the trailer for the film Cats, the Little Mermaid Live, Cats, the film, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. 
Documentary Now, original cast album, co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, a review of the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. That's our latest bonus episode. It's so much fun. You also get season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. It's sort of like an audio diary. That's how I've described it before, and I'm still describing it in such a way. Finally, you get 15 episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man. That's the show we've been plugging this entire time. It's dedicated to movie musicals, okay? We watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our series finale is coming January 25th, and the theme of that finale is the Next Chapter Trilogy. It's all about movie musical sequels. Our movies are as follows. Funny Lady, Grease 2, and the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, Love Never Dies. We're so excited. $30 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, all 10 episodes of Wild Cats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off episode all about Julie and the Phantoms, coming March 2023. TV VIP. TV VIP is a series dedicated to musical television shows, and that is coming exclusively to the $3 a month tier, okay? So be on the lookout in March of this year. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you will get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You tell me what musical we should talk about, so long as that musical was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical and has not already been covered on the show, of course. You get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera himself, speaking of which, you get all 14 episodes of our Broadway in Chicago review series and volumes one through five of Shout About It. What is that? Shout About It is a collection of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the show. Finally, this is our final tier. $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you'll get exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for Best Musical. They were snubbed. And finally, you get all 12 episodes in a very special series known as Turn It Off. That is dedicated to off-Broadway musicals, of course. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth here at the Stage Left Studio. Oh, I feel like, oh, my voice really caught up to me today. I feel like I'm really falling apart. I hope this episode comes out well in the wash. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo, and thank you, Zach Little, for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes! Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night.
race is on on a new Armstrong Exelon tile called Diana White. It's way ahead of any floor in its class because it's vinyl asbestos tile topped off with a layer of special vinyl formula to make it look richer, brighter, whiter. And Exelon is easy to install yourself. So see your flooring retailer for Armstrong Exelon tile and give your family room the most exciting finish in years. 